This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far ought to have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? Listening to the Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 54 of the Roundtable. I'm Grant Brisby. I'm here with Mark Carrig and a spryer, better looking Andy McCullough. Andy, what's your secret? You've been working out? Moby McCullough here. Feeling a lot better than I was a week ago. I don't know what happened. Yes, I'm all ready for the pod. All right, that's Steven Nesbitt. He is uh, pinch hitting, pinch running for Andy McCullough. Uh, Mark, how you doing today? Doing great. Doing great. I was just, uh, I was wondering if we could bring Grant Brithby back to host this show. But I guess we'll just have to go with Grant Brisby. And yeah, you're right, man. Andy's looking really good in the upper right corner of my screen. Very good. Glasses look even better. Like the flow looks better. Man, what an upgrade. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like I can talk to this guy. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I feel like I want to hear what this guy says. This one's approachable. <laughs> I haven't been invited back on this show since uh, the start of last season. I, we were trying to make bad hot takes, and I went with a really simple one. Weird. They, they put Karig into the seat really quickly after I did that. Something about, something about my presence just didn't work on the round table. We have a like a ton of bad reviews on Apple Podcasts. I've noticed most of them. I'm attributing to you okay. and your Chris Bassett take. Like I, I think that's the, the biggest majority. Excuse me. Wait a minute. I've noticed. That's what you said. I've noticed. I, I don't remember saying that. That, that. I no. Let's wind back the tape. I'm pretty sure you said I've noticed. I'm curious. What are you doing? Diving through comments to a show in which you don't participate. What's the pathology that leads you to that moment where, you know what, this is a good use of my time. I, a very talented writer with these two beautiful kids, this beautiful family, with plenty of other things to do, I'm going to decide to spend this time in this slum. These comments, this like, you know, absolute cesspool of humanity. How did you make this decision? I would say two things, two parts to that. The first is that I also have a show on this network on deck with Levi Weaver comes out twice a week, work twice as hard as these fellas. Never heard of it. And Go on. Unbe- unbelievable reviews. So the cesspool is turning into a much nicer place. I don't think we actually have any reviews left. Go do that. Subscribe, like five stars, please. Only on Mondays and Thursdays. The other thing is I have a very large family. And so if I want to make someone's life miserable by throwing some terrible comments their way, we can do that. My family knows Apple Podcasts. So yeah. So let's just say if you if you come across 10, 15, 20 bad reviews, particularly calling out the bad wall of hats, you wearing a Marlins jersey on the pod, that may be coming from my, my horde of brothers and sisters. Wow. wow. So what we got to give them a Nesbitt's Knights? Like what are we going to Nesbitt's Night Crawlers? Like what are we, what are we giving them a name? We got to give them a name. I mean, I'm not going to do it. I mean, name his fa- I'm not going to do that. Are you crazy? Nesbit, uh, Nesbitters? No, I don't know. I'll, I'll workshop this. I'll workshop this. You really fucking killed the pod. 
<laughs> we, this isn't my fault. We just had it's uh, your on, fault. On the crawl here, we just had uh, cesspool come up, and Nespool isn't a bad way to go. <laughs> also, you have the, lo- the we have the Loch Ness connection, the Loch Ness monsters. So I think we we're a couple couple different ways we could go. I like the Nespool. Yeah. That's strong. good. Nespool's yeah, pretty strong, good. Strong. Mark, you had something to say. Didn't you? You know, we spend a lot of time killing Andy on this podcast. And for the next minute, I wanted to be actually earnest. The reason that he's not here, Roundtable Heads, is that our boy got married over the weekend. And it was wonderful. It was a great reminder of a couple of things. You might have picked up on this if you hear this show. Andy's a bit sarcastic. He might be a little cynical. He might sometimes be pessimistic. And I think... There's a lot of folks that think this about Andy, and they'd be right. But boy, is it an incomplete rendering of who this guy is. And I think over the weekend, what was really fun was getting a chance to see all the other parts of this dude. And I think what you're reminded of is, boy, Steph, nice job. Man, you have really, really uh, made a difference in our guy. But it was pure joy, honestly, for these last couple of days. And I think there's a lot of folks who experienced watching this moment who are still feeling this way a few days later. And so, you know, before we get rolling, and for the roundtable heads out there, um, feel good for Andy. Feel good for Steph. That was a beautiful thing. There's a lot of parts of their wedding that was very much them. They wrote their own vows. You can imagine how moving those were. They had probably 250 guests, and for all of them, There was like a personalized note written behind their placeholder card. It was really cool. Um, And and mine featured a callback literally from like 14 years ago. So again, tells you what kind of folks these are, you know, the types of people that were there, how many turned out. You know, another thing they did, which I I thought was super clever, is that instead of a guest book, they uh, had you sign into a dictionary that you pick some kind of word that, that you know, this time evoked, and, and that's where you wrote your note. So, of course, you know, I picked something very smart-assy, and, and that's what I actually wrote. But here's what I should have done, and this is what I'd considered doing before I thought, you know what, no, I'm going to be myself. But, like, this is what I should have written in the actual book. I should have flipped to the page in which the word devotion appears. Because when I think of Andy and when I think of Steph, I can't think of two people more devoted to their families, to their friends, to their craft, and to each other. It was really a beautiful thing, what happened this weekend. So before we resume our typical schedule of nonsense and bullshit, I would like to raise a glass to Andy and Steph right now, wherever they are, to wish him Thank you for uh, a wonderful weekend, but to wish them luck on the rest of their lives because that really was one of the most beautiful things I've ever been a part of. So cheers, you guys. My gosh, that was beautiful. You should be a writer. (laughs) As my mom likes to say, uh, once said to me, did you copy that? (laughs) It's a true story. Won a national writing award in college and like I told her about and she goes, are you sure you didn't copy that? It was great. So when two baseball writers get married, like what, what's the, the, the guest list situation? Do you get awkward situations where like Buster Olney is throwing hands with John Heyman or something? <laughs> I don't think. No, I mean, luckily did not come to that, but there was very much a winter meetings 
vibe to this. Um, <laughs> well, somebody who works for the Pirates now put on my Instagram, God, this is like a writer's dinner, except in the summer. That wasn't totally inaccurate, actually. There was a lot of... Um, a lot of fun, a lot of like familiar faces. Um, you know, took three of them out to the golf course, took a little bit of money on the day of the wedding. Hey, oh, nice. it's a great way to oh, start the day. I mean, you know, played. It was good times were had by all. Close to the pin, like what are we just play by hole? Like I won most of the skins. Um, just about any way you slice it, day. yeah, yeah. Um, but like tied <laughs> for medalist with the great Adam Kilgore of the Washington Post. Um, roommate from like 20 years ago uh, when we were interns. So yeah, like we we used to go out and golf before. We will cover a game at night at Fenway, but start the day like on the other side of town golfing at like 7 a.m. So we'd have time to get the 18 in, take a nap, shower, and get to work. It, like, it was nice being young <laughs> to be able to pull that off, which yeah. like if I tried that today, like there, there, there would have to be like a hearse waiting at the end of the day, night. Like they'd be calling the coroner at Fenway Park because there's no way I'd make that. And we did this probably twice a week. So anyway, great time, guys. It was a great time. Congratulations to Andy. Uh, now I feel bad that I spent the first few minutes saying, you know, that Nesbitt's better looking, even though it's empirically true. Um, but... <laughs> I think at this point, we will segue into, uh, Stephen, you brought in a topic, which we'd love. I, I do want to share that at, uh, let me get back to it, at 3.36 a.m. my time. So I'm assuming 6.36 a.m. his time. Uh, Stephen pops in a, a Slack created just for the show and says, uh, long time, third time, certified round table head. You schmucks do a rundown or just make this up on the fly? <laughs> and then four hours later he just comments i see with no responses between and yeah that's how we do it so steven you've brought a topic you you want to talk tigers uh and assorted others uh in that tigers bin so let's hear it listen i was up at five o'clock rocking an eight month old so i had nothing better to think about than Than what we're going to talk about on the show today as I play a poor man's uh, Andy McCullough. But I, I did want to because, fellas, I got a little triggered this morning. I read Cody Stavenhagen's sort of reading between the lines of what Tigers, President of Baseball Ops, Scott Harris had told them, a sort of media over the assembled media over the weekend. And the first question of that was someone asking Scott Harris, uh, this might be a big week for the team given the state of your division. Do you see yourselves as contenders at this point? And I was reading that. I just wanted to like scream, stop it. Stop. No, don't do that. So the Tigers, are they a contender? They are if you consider like anybody within five-ish games of first place to be a contender. But if we say they're contenders, like so are the White Sox and and things obviously have not gone their way. So the very fact that the Tigers are within five games is because no one is over 500 in that division. It's a joke what's going on there. The uh, NL Central isn't a whole lot different except for the, the red surging lately. But it brings me to a topic of conversation that we get to every time this time of year. And it's what do you do about teams that I put in kind of a distinct category of a team that's on the up and up, but is not supposed to be here yet. And what do you do with those teams with the trade deadline? And I put probably the, the, the pirates in the same bucket uh, as a team that uh, has sort of arrived, but definitely not fully there. They are at least a, a few pieces away from being, truly uh, contending for the division. And I think a lot of pieces away from being a World Series contender. And so 
it brings me back to if I had a, a bell to ding, it would be for you know mentioning the 2018 Pirates probably. But this is a year. Let me take you back. They traded before the season Garrett Cole and Andrew McCutcheon, which is basically saying like we're not initiating a full rebuild, but we're we're not planning to win this year. And what happened to that team was early July of that year they were seven games under 500, and then they reel off 13 of 14, and it puts them a couple games over 500. A week before the trade deadline, they're still six back of the division, three back of the wild card. And what do they do? Well, suddenly there's immense pressure, and Neil Huntington and company decide, you know what, we should go get a pitcher. You know, you know, a pretty good pitcher you could have had was Garrett Cole, and instead he's pitching for the Astros. And what they do is they go get Chris Archer, which we all know that worked out poorly. But remember the context to that. They were never going to trade for any sort of anybody of consequence that season. But because things got so hot in, in mid-July, in the end of July, they thought they had to do something. Okay, we'll go to a controllable guy. He's around for a few more years. And that's how you lose Austin Meadows and, and Tyler Glassnow and Shane Buzz. And so the bottom line is they cave to some of this pressure or maybe their own excitement that their team was better than expected this year because Corey Dickerson had have, had overachieved. They changed their original plan and, and they paid for it with their jobs a year later. And so that team finished three games over 500, not particularly close to the playoffs. And so when you're one of these teams, I've never been really accused of being a, a shill for owners or front office. So you guys tell me if I'm if I'm wrong here. As much as I think the teams have an obligation to try to win, try to win quickly, if you're following some sort of plan, a rebuild or whatever, do not mortgage that for a chance to contend with a, with a team that's too far away right now. And then you maybe trade away your Ellie De La Cruz or someone of, of a similar skill because, uh, because you were trying to go for it in a year where you just happened to be you know, within shouting distance of first place or a wild card because things are kind of outside of your control. That's kind of where I see the Tigers and, and the and team like the Pirates. Did he not realize that he was joining the only pro-labor union podcast in baseball? And then he comes in here and, and like carries agua for the owner? I mean, which is funny because I totally agree. Like, look, I mean, I totally agree with you. Nesbitt, like at this point, if you're one of those teams and you part with any kind of asset that might help you down the road, you're probably making a bad mistake. And I say that because structurally, this is the setup that baseball wanted. This is it. This is why you add playoff spots so that, you know, a team that quote unquote isn't supposed to be there can still be there and then do it without paying any kind of price. And in this case, that would be for future value. It doesn't make any sense at all to me to play in that game. Like you're, you're really like, what does it take to not be in the mix these days? Let's look at the question that way. Well, let's see the Kansas City Royals, the Oakland A's. Right, I'm looking at the American League because we're looking at the Tigers. That's pretty much it because even the White Sox, for all the stuff they've gone through, are within shouting distance. And when you look at the names on their roster of some of these teams that are in this bubble of, gee, they're kind of hanging around sort of marginally or whatever you want to call it. Some of the names, at least on the White Sox roster, you can see that coming together. You can see the top end of Tim Anderson showing up. You can see the top end of Lucas Giolito showing up, right? Go on and on down the roster. And look, some of these guys are already doing that, but you can see others sort of joining the party. So if you're one of those teams, the way that this setup is, it really is hard to justify kind of making moves to add to the talent level when candidly, it's already good enough. Like this is sort of like what you're going to be. Right. I think by definition, these teams aren't ready for prime time because they're not a piece away. 
right? They're multiple pieces away and not like, you know, bullpen arms to help lengthen, you know, whatever. No, we're talking about significant lineup help, which in the case of the Detroit Tigers, that's what they would need, significant lineup help, right? So, no, it just doesn't make sense. And I think this is sort of uh, an adjustment that certainly fans of the game should probably begin making if they haven't already. We don't live in that world anymore, really, of like black and white contender, non-contender. I just don't think that's the dichotomy anymore, all right? Because it's such an extreme level of losing that you have to experience at this point to be truly out of it, i.e. Kansas City and Oakland, right? Like the other 13 teams in the American League are somehow in it. And and I say somehow because like maybe I've been slow to make the adjustment, but this is the world we live in now. It really isn't you know, a very clear line in there. And and by the way, I'm not saying that those are good teams, right? Like, I'm not saying that these are, oh man, I can see them winning a World Series. I am not saying that at all. I'm, when I hear the word contender, though, what comes to mind for me is, are they compelling enough to pay attention to because they're going to get into the playoffs potentially? Well, if we use that definition, low as a bar as it is, the answer is yes, <laughs> despite Nesbitt's reaction to that question at the end of the day, believe it or not, because of the way this system is set up, yes, your Detroit Tigers are within shouting distance. And, you know, we can debate whether that's a good or bad thing. But I think at this point, that is straight up a reality. That is a fact. They are in the mix in this context, which is quite something. I think one thing you guys are overlooking is that the Tigers are 31 and 40, right? But they're Pythagorean. Like, if you look at that, they're 28 and 43. They're a bad team. Like, they're objectively bad. And there are going to be levels to this when you take a team on an individual basis. There are going to be teams that are uh, arriving ahead of schedule where you can go down your roster and say, oh, I, yes, you know, they hit on a couple parlays with their youth and with this guy. They have Magli Ordornez, Pudge Rodriguez. They've got Justin Verlander. Like, yeah, these Tigers, they're ahead of schedule. You know, you've got uh, Jose Altuve. That guy's actually pretty good. George Springer's pretty good. Okay, the Astros, now you're ahead of schedule. I don't see, you need at least like three more Riley Greens having that kind of season. Because if you look at their, you look at their lineup and it's, all below average everyone's on base percentages 310 or lower or if you have like a huge on base percentage like Miguel Cabrera's 313 you know he's slugging 331 you know this is their lineup and I get that you can maybe count on a couple nice things when Eduardo Rodriguez comes back but man it's just an objectively bad team so you can maybe thread that needle. It's a term that I came up with. You can maybe thread that needle and go after someone who has like team control, right? You can figure something out where you're trading a prospect for someone who's essentially giving you the future value of a prospect. Uh, But I don't know, man, why? It's look at this roster. The Tigers are an extreme example to pick too, because again, how often are you going to have nobody at 500 or above in a division? But it's, it's sort of, illustrates this point where I think in a really large way, contenders are made in the offseason. It's uh, going to get a little weird if you decide you're a contender once you're already in the season because there's a lot of work to be done. It's uh, pretty rare. I think you're going to have a team really emerge in the season and, and 
tell you, though, we are actually a contender. And then you need to make maybe two significant moves, and that's it. And a good team, as we're about to get to, uh, the Reds. The Reds are a team you can buy into and say, yeah, I think their time is coming. Things have broken their way. Their prospects are on time, and they're ready. And uh, they have some veterans that are, are ready to contribute. And uh, they need, need to make a couple moves still if they're deciding to, to really go for it. But they're in a different bracket, I think, than, than the, the Pirates and the Tigers. Before we get there, I'm curious, right? Because like I'm listening. Remember, this conversation began under the, the context of are they contenders because the trade deadline is coming? I kind of love this idea of teams having to declare something. Right, I think that's sort of kind of like why back in the day the trade deadline was, I think, so compelling. Not only were you going to get player movement, but you had people basically declaring for everybody to see what they think they are. Which, when you think about it, is sort of rare, not just in sports, but in life, where you've got to basically say, you know what? We screwed this up. We suck. We thought we were good, and we actually stink, so we're going to have to take action to remedy that. And so I guess my question to you guys is, what would be better, moving up the trade deadline or moving it back? Because like, I kind of wonder what element would be fun to have back again. And to me, it's this like hard deadline to declare what you are to folks. And so I wonder if having to do it earlier is better because like you can't mess around. Like if you're going to make this decision, it needs to happen now. Or if you do it later, and can you imagine the wild scramble that could be? If, you know, your team were not different for two months, but maybe for one month, maybe, you know, if and, and we've had an element of that in the past, right? When September call-ups happen, teams fundamentally change. I also think that's sort of what baseball is anyway, right? Like in the NFL, like the team you had at the start is generally what you had at the finish. You know, the only impact is injuries. Whereas in baseball, we know that is not true. It's why the playoffs are such a different game. Like the, the marathon begins with one team and ends with a totally different one a lot of times, right? Fundamentally anyway. So I don't know, man, like what would be better? Do you, do you leave it alone? But like, I kind of wonder if because of the change in setup, right? With the extra playoff teams and even just structurally the teams not playing each other as much, right? You're, you're facing the rest of the league more. Should there be a change in the trade deadline to compensate for those things. If I were commissioner, and this is another like, you know, piece of propaganda because I should be the commissioner, I would make it the deadline earlier, see who bites, and then go, no, 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 just kidding, and then move it back to August, and then you get b best of both worlds. But I w if, it, if I'm being serious, I don't like either one because if you move it too late, you're really diminishing the returns of the rentals and the importance of the rentals. You know, you have, you can pick out the players in history who were traded at the deadline and rode that or, you know, carried that team to the postseason with momentum, where Randy Johnson and the Astros, CeCe Sabathia with the Brewers. That wouldn't happen as much, I don't think, or nearly as much. And teams would be less inclined to give. Uh, prospects for these big guys you know there's Randy Johnson Sabathia Carlos Beltran you want to keep that sense of we've got this guy and now we've got two months to make something happen I like that but I also like moving it early and making teams trade or get off the pot you know what I mean like I kind of do appreciate that a little bit 
I think you would get a lot of teams like the Tigers. Tigers are a bad example because I, I don't think Scott Harris has any illusions of what's going on. But the Pirates, maybe, maybe the Pirates are like, okay, you know, you know, Jack Swinsky, he's a he's a badass. Like we're we're all in on this team. But are they that in to where right now, if they could make a trade jump the market, how confident are they? I would guess not that confident. I, I think this is one step in a multi-step process. So if I had to choose between the two, I'd go earlier. To me, it is. The, what I want more than anything out of a deadline is a sense of urgency. And we see that happen at the end of July, right? They get on their horses and suddenly we got all sorts of movement. Nothing really happens July 1st, but July 30th, 31st. Yes, things happen. And I think if you were to push this back to August 31st, we wouldn't see anything happening for most of the month because to go back to the original thing, Scott Harris and the Tigers, teams would just hang around and see what they have. They'd hold on to their players that they they might trade away. And they would say, well, we kind of got an obligation to see if we've got the team. Okay, we're falling out of it by the end of August. All right, we'll, we'll trade guys away. And so big pieces wouldn't move. The Juan Soto sweepstakes of last All-Star, um, All-Star game where it, everyone knew he was... He was headed out the door and things were really heating up. That wouldn't start yet. And so I wouldn't move it way up because at this at this point of the season, you know, if it were June 15th, I just think there's still so much time for teams to sort themselves out. But maybe the trade deadline. I don't know how logistically that would work. Maybe right after the trade deadline or right after the All-Star game, I'm sorry, uh, so that you can get, let guys enjoy the All-Star game and then ship them out of town uh, after that <laughs> would, would work. I just wouldn't want it too early, but if I were going to go one of those two directions, I think it really adds drama and intrigue and urgency if you go a little bit earlier. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew neck t-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great 
without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra-soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. My biggest problem is that I'm going to list off some teams, the Blue Jays, the Mets, the Padres, the Guardians, the Mariners, five teams. One of these five teams is going to go bonkers uh, in the next couple months. I don't know which one it is because they're all playing down right now. But one of these teams is going to go on a run, become the team you thought that they were going to be in one way or another and arrive at the deadline a little bit more of a fully formed battle station. And I don't know which team it was. I want to give them that chance, though. Like, I want to be proven right about one of those teams, and they should have that ability to survey the scene and go, no, we are who we thought we were. The Yankees are another one. Uh, Maybe the Red Sox. Maybe the Red Sox, if they can get a healthy pitcher, which is just bananas, who could have seen that come into the rotation? You know, maybe they, they do something where they get in there. And I'd like just giving teams a little bit more time to sort it out. I think uh, it's the middle bowl of porridge, you know, the trade deadline. I think Mark is a reactionary. There used to be trades made in June. Well, we don't see that anymore. So like, I think both of you in answering the question have approached it from like an urgency action standpoint. Okay. I'm kind of just basically given how front offices are run, I concede to you that nothing happens until there's a deadline. That's why I'm kind of intrigued with moving it further back. Because talk about the urgency then, right? Like there's nothing you're going to do that's going to make them move earlier. But it's more about, in my mind anyway, how do you make it more chaotic, more real hardcore decision making, little more stakes? And it's not even, again, this is, we we talk about all these things. It's like, are you going to get into the playoffs if you make this move? I'm almost looking at it like if you bump it back a couple of weeks, this isn't about whether you make the playoffs. You already feel like you're going to make the playoffs, but like, are you going to like level up compared to the other teams that are in that same bucket of sneaking into the dance? Grant kind of talked about how the values would go down because you're just not getting any acquiring players for as long a period of time. Well, as you've seen, the rental values have been down anyway. That like the most important players and, and, and the ones that are extracting the biggest prices from the other team side are like ones with team control. I kind of wonder if there, the, the rental value would actually increase just because there would be more people in the market at that point. Like you can't, you know, like if you're still hanging around middle of August and then now you're talking about pressure and like Nesbitt brought up that example about what pressure can do to a team's decision making back in 2018 in the Bucks, right? And we've seen that throughout history. There's a lot of teams that have felt that because, you know, these are still human beings running clubs. Moving it back to me is intriguing because imagine what that sounds like when you've had a little bit more time and now like you still haven't fallen out of it and you have still like six weeks seven weeks left of season. So it's not like you're changing your team and and not having enough time for that new player to make an impact. That's plenty of time to make an impact. I don't know. I do know this. Like I miss 
that declaration point. And I think anything to kind of get back to that would be great. Getting teams moving into urgency. And so like, I, it sounds like double speak because I literally started this with like, hey, the, the place to do nothing. And I still believe that. But I think I want to change the system in any way to make it so that it's harder to do that, right? It's harder to do nothing. And so having a little bit more time to see what your team is and all that stuff and then start to make these decisions. Maybe that's a way to do it. Cause like that, that's where my head goes. I want more hard decisions to be made. I think that's what's good for the sport. And we're talking about trade deadlines and all that stuff. For me, that's what makes it really compelling that you have to live with these decisions. Again, to your example, Nesbitt, it's a lot of talent. The pirates parted with there for, you know, a player that did not work out for him um, at all. I think that part of it's super compelling. Yeah, I, I might favor a situation where they, a system where they did something like the regular deadline on the end of July, and then you could do something in, a month later where you like have to dump everybody through waivers, like everyone and their mom, and then they could be traded before <laughs> September first. That is novel. I don't think that'll they'll never go for that. Another <laughs> fly. Yeah. I thought that's a really strange and compelling idea. I also think if you could do that in conjunction with like a, a format where you have three teams that are like in division winners who are in the postseason. And then for that fourth slot, you could take two teams and have them play like one game mm, yeah. to get in to the real playoffs. You can call it like a wild card game. And then you have a little bit of extra excitement. Um, you have something uh, worth watching. That plus the waiver thing, again, make me commissioner. These are novel yeah. ideas, fellas. Just outstanding. Just revolutionizing ideas. the game right there in the last 45 seconds. That's what you get here at the round table. That's what you get at the round table. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I tried to pivot to the Marlins. I said, hey, you want to talk about the Marlins? And Andy said, no. Straight up, just, just like, no. I'm not, nope. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not doing that. You know, like he just he he refused. So now we've got uh, Nesbitt here. Uh, you want to talk about the Marlins? You've got Mark Rigg wearing a Marlins jersey. Who were you thinking of when you put that on? Is that Todd Dunwoody going through your head? Is it Pat Rapp? You know what? This is a, a an Andre Dawson teal. Yeah, because like so, I love teal. I love teal. And so I remember when the Marlins joined the league. I'm like, that's my new National League team right there. I'm going to watch <laughs> Chucky Carr chase balls down and wreak yeah. havoc on the bases, right? Like, I'm going to watch yeah. Charlie Huff throw them knuckleballs. I'm going to, you know, like, Orestes Estrada, he's going to come, th you know, like, I mean, I can go on and on naming them. Like, Walt Weiss was on that team, actually. So, anyway, like, you know, I knew what we are going to talk about today. Plus, I really like Teal, right? Like, I just, that whole era, man. Like, uh, God, what a time that was. Teal and purple everywhere. Unbelievable. Teal. There's a picture of me in my high school yearbook uh, on crutches, which is weird because I never had crutches uh, in high school. But I'm wearing a Marlins hat, like that teal hat in 93. You know, I'm looking I'm looking good. I mean, I'm not, but I think I am. And I'm, I'm rocking that teal. So I appreciate that. Like, it's it's a good look. So let's talk Marlins. I think they're good. Yeah. Luis Araya is currently batting right on 400. It's ridiculous. He, like he he keeps falling well below, you know, three ninety. You'll never get back. You know, enjoy that four hundred while it lasted. And he's back there. He's just rolling out. You know, five for five days, th three five hit games this month. Just absurd. And he's he's you know, there's a lot of love for like the um, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred triple slash. Which I hey, I love that. But let me introduce you to the four hundred, four hundred, four hundred triple slash. <laughs> That's I in. I love it. That's in. Yeah, I'm on record as just I love a good high average. 
player, even if it's uh, it doesn't come with all the homers and the dingers and the hey hey hey. Like I I want to see a 400 batter. I love a 350 like prime Jose Altuve, uh, Ichiro. Though that's the that's the juice right there. That is those are the players I want to watch because. There, okay, so you can do weighted stats and you can do, here's the, the fancy saber metrics that prove that, well, actually, they're just as valuable as this guy. And I get that, but you're talking about happy fun time moments as a fan watching on TV or in the stands. And a guy with a high batting average supplies you with a lot of happy fun time moments. Walks are like, you know, cool, whatever. They're advancing toward a goal. A single to the outfield is a happy fun time moment. And when one guy is just racking those up, that means something. As a fan, it's just cool, cooler than any other way to, to get about run production. So I'm all in on the Arias train. That's such a great point, right? The math tells you something, and it's important because it tells you something you can't see. That said, a hit when there's runners on second and third feels really nice because you can see it. You can see how it's helping the team. You know, so it went, I think, what do you go, five for five again? Last night, you know, one and, and there's a couple of those where like, yeah, he, he had guys on base and he knocked him in. Like, I don't know what's more rewarding than that. If, if that's your team that has those guys on base, like that's a great feeling. It gives you crazy high confidence in the player when he comes to bat because, you know, this guy's probably going to get a hit. I mean, what the Marlins, I think, are 11 games over. I don't think they've been that high since 2011. All right, like that. It's a long time since they've done this. You know, they're still last in the league in attendance. It's you know, I don't think South Florida's gotten behind him yet or whatever. But I think if this guy gives him a chance to maybe get there, I mean, Luis Arias is someone you should be watching. Like not just if you're a Marlins fan, but if you're just a fan of baseball in general. What he's doing up there is remarkable. It also is just a wild reminder of how incredibly difficult it is to hit 400. <laughs> right because he has been. he'll dip yeah. like 10 points down and then like roll out a five for five like how often does that happen i mean he's he's the first guy i think in baseball this year to get to 100 hits so like this dude has been churning out hits and he's still been flirting with that line this is not like a scenario where he got to like 440 and like the air is coming out of the balloon no 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 he is like He'll dip 10 points below and then have like, you know, three or four games where he's just like, you know, everything's falling. I don't know. I think there's a drama to that. It is so cool just because it is so hard. I also like the way this guy embraces the thing, you know, like I mean, he goes up there and like he you know, hits his stated goal. I want to get as many hits as I can. Like that's the whole point of this game. And I think that's wonderful. So I, it's really cool to watch. Obviously, through some part of what he's been doing for them at the top of the lineup, so it happens a team playing pretty well. Even though the Pythagorean tells a different story, right? Like, and I know, I think that was Nerd. something that our boy brought up a couple weeks ago. Like, he, hey, what's the Pythagorean say? Like, we know what it says, right? We know what it says. However, it doesn't take away from the fun factor, especially with this dude. I mean, Hits are cool, man. Like, and um, yeah, average doesn't tell you everything. It tells you something. It tells you something. And so that's a good reminder too. With players like this, there's something special about when a player is up or on the mound and you're expecting one outcome. You are watching Barry Bonds and you're expecting a dinger, right? You are watching uh, Max Scherzer and you're expecting a, the hitter to look bad and, and, and a nasty strikeout. With Arias, you're expecting a hit. And in this situation, you're getting him. 
more often than, you know, you're getting them one out of every three times. You know, if you go on just straight plate appearances, one out of every four or five times if you're going on on base percentage. But if you're going up there and you're going, this guy's going to rope a line drive somewhere, you're going to be right all the time. And that's cool. That's cool as hell. I wish there were more Luis Sarayas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did not have the Marlins being the ones to give the, the Braves a little bit of a chase here uh, instead of the the, the Phillies who have come on hot lately and the Mets who are still a, a mess. But an honest like overall look at the Marlins, I still don't don't know that they have what it takes. Um, you know, I bet the same people who look at the Pythagorean would look at the the run differential and say it's still in the red. It's not where you want it. The back half of this lineup still doesn't strike fear in anybody. Uh, you know, Garrett Cooper was a was an all-star last year, but uh, has not been great this year. Joey Wendell, John Birdie, Nick Fortes, not great. Jonathan Davis. And for them to do this with Sandy Alcantara with like a five ERA, just not what I had. But I think they have they have the pieces to maintain what they're doing this year with beyond Sandy, a rotation that's actually extremely interesting if you haven't watched their games. Braxton Garrett, Jesus Lazardo, who's had worse numbers lately, but really, really good ones early on. Brian Honing, uh, Yuri Perez is uh, a stud. And then on the IL, they have Edward Cabrera, Johnny Cueto, and Tyler Rogers. So like they have depth here. And what do you do with that depth, please? Please, Kim Ang. Uh, go trade for some hitting because I think this is a this is a the, the pitching staff that can hold up this season. And if you get some help in the back half of that lineup, and then bring back maybe a, a hope, you know hopefully improved Gene Segura, Jazz Chisholm once he's healthy, uh, obviously El Garcia. Like this is a team that gets really interesting. It's going to probably have to settle for a wild card spot, but they have the pitchers who I mean if you throw Sandy out there in a, a wild card situation, follow up the Yuri Perez. This team could legitimately scare somebody. In the past couple of years, you know, when they made the playoffs in 2020, they weren't really scaring people. This is the perfect counterpoint to the Tigers talk because you have a team that is surprising and they're looking and you can poke holes like you see the run differential. You can say, well, this is not happening. But if you're looking at the Marlins three years from now, are you 100% sure that you're going to have Alcantara, Lazardo, Yuri Perez, Braxton Garrett, like pitching staff in place with depth behind them once they get healthy. Can you project that with any certainty? No, it's pitching. It's pitching, man. You've got pitchers now. Pitchers now that you feel like they can do damage if you get into a postseason situation. So this is the team that should be, screw when the actual trade deadline is, make your own trade deadline. Go out now. You know, Pay a little bit extra now because... When you're talking about windows, pitching screws up all those windows. You cannot guarantee that that young pitching is going to be advanced like a fine wine. Pitching, so many bullets. So I think the Marlins are the perfect counterpoint to the Tigers, and they should be aggressive now. Get hitters now. That's my hot take. I like that. I like that take. Yeah, you, you, you've you got to capitalize on this window. Jesus Lazardo is a perfect example of that, right? Like this is a dude that... I don't think there's ever been a doubt about the talent that's there, but also, yeah, it's taking, you know, unfortunately it's pitching, like guys get hurt, always been that fear. But right now, he's a dude who strikes out, you know, double-digit strikeouts per nine, you know, doesn't walk the ballpark. It's a good combination. The Marlins have a couple, like, couple folks like that, not just in the rotation, but in their bullpen as well. So I think... You can look at this roster, and and I think certainly like the the parts that need enhancement are clear, but I think the bigger takeaway is that you know, despite what the Pythagorean says, there's a lot of useful ballplayers on this roster, right? And like it, it's not that hard to see 
augmenting this roster and seeing what happens. I think they do have a chance to be a playoff team. I mean, I, whether they win the division or not, I think in this day and age, it doesn't matter nearly as much as it used to. I think it's just about if you're the Miami Marlins getting into the dance, they have certainly put themselves in position to do that. And I think I hadn't thought about it that way, Grant, but it is a good counterpoint to what we were discussing earlier. Like this one feels like, hmm, yeah, maybe it is worthy of doing something. Here, I still wouldn't go and like, you know, I just don't see the kind of empty the farm trades. No, you know, we should be yeah. doing that stuff. But like, you know, a little bit of help in that lineup to deepen it a little bit feels like that's within range for what they've got to work with. Producer Brian in the chat mentioning that A's gave up on both Jesus Lizardo <laughs> and AJ Puck. So another Bay Area Giants fan just trying to dunk on the A's uh, at every turn. <laughs> at every turn. Every turn. Hey, Brian, you, you, you hear about how the A's had... Uh, Almost MLB average attendance one night last week. That's crazy, huh? Don't get me started. Do not. Why would you do this? It it like ruins my. Why would you do this? You guys see that story about uh, Patrick Mahomes and Ellie De La Cruz? Can we just please get some Reds talk in here before we have to go? Uh, Did you hear this one? Uh, No. Okay, it was on the on the broadcast uh, last night. Patrick Mahomes asked Ellie De La Cruz for a signed bat and ball, and Ellie signed the bat. Fastest man in the world. God, that's awesome. I love it. That is so dope. I the love Reds, that. The Reds are awesome right now. And to get team granddad Joey Votto back last night as we record here, uh, Monday night, and he gets a couple big hits, a walk, a homer, a uh, go-ahead single. The Reds are in a good place. They, this is a fun team in a, in a really weird division. Did you guys catch his presser before the game by chance? Joey Votto? You should look it up. Seriously, like – First of all, like read Trent, right? Because like he's obviously like the authority on this, and then who? Like, he, yeah, who? <laughs> but like Joey Votto, I think was the player that he is. Not only because he's super talented, right? Like obviously he's that too. But there's a level of self awareness that I think this dude demonstrates pretty regularly and has for pretty much the entirety of his career. I think we saw it again last night in that presser. He's basically saying that, look, you know, I'm trying to fit in here. This is a whole different era of Reds baseball, that sort of thing. Like he's basically saying he understands what his place is here. And that is really an amazing thing to hear somebody of that stature say and to do it in this very intelligent and genuine way. Um, that's a special player, uh, obviously not just because of the things he's done, but the way he carries himself. And I think... You know, it'd be an awful shame if if like he puts another uniform on. Like I, you know, I think that's one of these like old school baseball things that like I, uh, you know, I know that this is the real world and that that kind of thing doesn't happen as much anymore. But I just it would be really bizarre to me to see him in another uniform, and and I think he proved it again last night. He gives this like. Again, an awesome answer. If you guys haven't seen it, go check it out. It's worth your time when he's talking about his him coming back. And then, then you see what he did on the field, right? Like, I mean, this is, you know, winning teams need guys like that. And if, if they're going to make some noise, which I hope they do, because how much fun would that be? You know, I feel like Joey Votto, regardless of how he's performing on the field, I think it was clear yesterday that this is a tone setter in some form or fashion. And Rudd's folks are lucky that, you know, this is a guy who is clearly up to that challenge, given his stature and sort of where he is as a player in con- in the context of where the team is just as a whole. He gets it, right? Like he gets that this is in 2013. He gets that he's a guy who has dealt with injuries and all that. He also is displaying like a confidence that, yeah, he can be a part of 
making them better, which I think is admirable. It's exactly what you want to hear from that player. So you're telling me to go back and, and consume extra Joey Votto content? Okay. It's never really worked for me in the past, but I'll try it. Just I'll try anything. Try once. to fit it in. Where can I find yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. All right. This has been episode 54 of the round table. Uh, Brian, breaking news. Andy's been designated oh, no. for assignment. Designated for assignment to domestic bliss. No, let me work out that. Anyways, like to like to thank Nesbitt for coming on. Uh, really appreciate it. You did great. You will have you back. No Chris Bassett stuff this time. Great work. We'll be back next week talking about baseball because that's what we do. We'll see you then. I was very wrong. <laughs>